Friends, it's Christmas Eve. Isn't that a great thing? It's a glorious thing because today, tonight, we can look forward with joy and anticipation as we think of all that it means that the Lord Jesus Christ has come. To be the saviour of the world, to be the saviour of all and any who will trust in him. And that's what we're going to be thinking about as we go through our service. We're going to sing a number of well-known carols. We're going to hear a number of well-known readings. And in bringing all that together, uh, my prayer for us all is that we might understand more, more of what it means that Christ has come, that we might know God and have life. We want to encourage you to enjoy the service with us. Shall we pray together as we start our service? Great God in heaven, how we thank you and we praise you that we can come together this evening to bring to you our thanks and praise for the coming of the Lord Jesus and all that means. Lord, we know so many things that give us happiness and joy, but the greatest source of joy is our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray this evening that our hearts will be full of him, that we would know more of what it means that he has come uh, to save us and rescue us from sin and death and hell and the devil. And dear Lord, we pray that as we hear familiar readings, perhaps as we sing familiar carols, Lord, would you speak to us all, each one, that we would know more of what it means to trust in this Lord Jesus Christ. And we commit our service to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, our first carol is Once in Royal David's City. Let's stand together as the musicians begin. We're going to have five readings in our service together this evening. And the first one takes us right back to almost the beginning of human history. We're going to read from Genesis chapter 3 where we learn of how Satan tempted Adam and Eve, our first parents, and how they sinned and what that meant for our world. So we're starting here because it, it sets a context for why we need a saviour, but also listen out for God's promise in the midst of all the sadness. It's there, and we'll pick that up as we work through the service. Pam's going to read to us from Genesis chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat... From it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realised that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? 
Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The snake deceived me and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the snake, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. We're going to sing together once more, a little town of Bethlehem. Well, the entrance of sin into the world in Genesis chapter 3 means that we need a rescuer. There was a promise of one who would come, who would crush the head of the serpent. And now we're going to hear two readings from Isaiah. Claire's going to bring the first from Isaiah chapter 9 that tells us about this coming rescuer who is promised, who will bring light and hope to the world. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Thank you, Claire. We're going to sing uh, together again, as with gladness, men of old. Our second reading from the book of Isaiah is from Isaiah chapter 11 where we hear more about the wonderful promise to all who believe and just how wide that offer is, that all and any who will come can be made right with God. Reyes is going to read to us from Isaiah chapter 11. Chapter 11 from verses 1 to 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, 
the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash round his waist. The wolf will live with a lamb, the leopard will lie down with a goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them. The cow will feed with a bear, the young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the Mediterranean. We're going to sing uh, once again uh, of all that the Lord Jesus has come to rescue us from in the carol that came upon a midnight clear. We now begin to hear the events of Jesus' birth, and we're going to read now in Luke chapter 2 and hear Luke's accounts of the birth of Christ. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their town to register. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace on those whose, whom favor, his re, favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby 
who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were, were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, just as they had been told. Thank you, Clinton. I don't think there's another carol we could sing except, O come all you faithful, and join in there with the choirs of angels praising God. So let's stand together and sing, O come all you faithful. And now we come to our final reading, which takes us to the events about five weeks after Jesus' birth, when he is presented in the temple. And we're going to hear about a man called Simeon, whose response to Christ is going to be the focus of our thoughts together in a moment. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, sorry, said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. I don't know where Christmas began for you, but for me, it began a little over two weeks ago on the 9th of December in York, in the Jack Lyons Concert Hall, where I sat through this concert, J.S. Bach's Christmas Oratorio. It's an extravagant celebration of Jesus' birth, written by J.S. Bach, just to record the promise of his coming, uh, the events of his birth, and it only gets you as far as the visit of the Magi in no less than two and a half hours of music. It is an extravagant celebration. There are no less than three Baroque trumpets. And in the concert I listened to, the first trumpet had flown in from Denmark. There are two uh, Baroque horns who are only used uh, for less than 5% of the piece. There's a timpani. There's a full orchestra. There's four, four soloists and a full choir. As I said, it lasts over two and a half hours. 
And it is so expensive to put on that however high you can push the price, you always make a loss because it is such an extravagant piece of music. So as I was sat there listening to this music, this glorious piece of music, I thought, well, we all celebrate the birth of a child, don't we? But why such a huge celebration? Why three trumpets, two horns, a timpani, a huge choir, and two and a half hours of music, J.S. Bach? Why do that? Well, it all depends on the character, the person, the nature of the child that has been born. And what we're going to do just for a few minutes now is we're going to think why Jesus' birth is worthy of that great celebration and more. Why Jesus' birth is worthy of a host of angels in heaven rejoicing at the arrival of the Lord Jesus. And we're going to do that by looking at that encounter between Simeon and the infant Jesus. We're going to think firstly about the joy of Christ's birth. The joy of Christ's birth. That the Lord God wanted Simeon to meet the infant Jesus. We heard that Simeon had been filled with the Holy Spirit and God was working in him. He was, a, he was a godly man looking forward to the promises that were there in the Old Testament. He was eagerly waiting, we read, for God's rescue, God's consolation. That's what we heard of in Isaiah 9 and 11 and elsewhere. And it's an amazing thing. It's a kind of a divine appointment. Because when Joseph and Mary bring Jesus to the temple... 35 days after his birth to thank God, the Holy Spirit guides Simeon to the temple at that time. Not only that, among the huge crowd and the throngs who had been there, somehow the Spirit leads Simeon to Mary and Joseph, who were there bringing the cheapest of offerings to give thanks for the birth of the Lord Jesus. And when Simeon sees Jesus, verse 28, we read these words, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. I mean, just think about that for a second. You have got Simeon holding the Son of God in his arms, crying out praise to the living God. He, he knows nothing about the parents. It's the first time he has met this baby. So why the celebration? Well, it's because Simeon had been told that he was going to meet the Lord's Messiah. And this phrase, the Lord's Messiah, to understand what that means, we need to go on a little journey through the Old Testament to see just how precious Jesus' arrival is. We heard in our first reading in Genesis 3 of that struggle there between God and Satan. And right through the scriptures, as you go through, there is that ongoing struggle. He, Satan, will try to bite the promised rescuer. But one day, the promise is what? That that rescuer will crush his head. If you know anything of the book of Genesis, you'll see that Satan keeps on trying to bite. In Genesis chapter 4, you've got the tale of two brothers, Adam and Eve's sons. And there is a feud between them. Sin gets into the world. Satan wants to destroy God's plan, and he almost does, but he doesn't. Satan tries to bite in Genesis chapter 6 by, by tempting mankind, we read there, to great wickedness so that they might destroy themselves and, and humanity gives in to sin, showing us all our sin. And it's a wonderful reminder 
that though Satan tries again and again to thwart the plan of God, God won't let him. And indeed, God promises right at the very beginning in Genesis 3 that he will act as soon as sin comes into the world. And you know what that tells us? It tells us that sin, our problem with God, is so serious we can't fix it ourselves, friends. God promised as soon as it came to send a rescuer. And maybe you're here tonight and you're a religious person. Maybe you're listening online and you're trying to be good. Friends, we cannot fix the problem of our wrongdoing before God. And we need God's rescue. But Satan doesn't want that rescue to come. He tries in hundreds of ways through the Bible to stop it. He's a bit like the playground bully who keeps on losing but never gives up. He keeps on trying. And and if you want a new perspective on Christmas, if you want to read a passage perhaps you've never read before about the coming of Jesus, go home tonight and read Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 tells the story of a battle between... Um, It's a visionary picture, a battle between a dragon, a picture of Satan, and a woman and a child, a picture of Mary, and the child is the Lord Jesus. But the great news is this. Satan, although he doesn't want the child to be born, he doesn't win. Because tonight, and tomorrow, and at Christmas, we remember that Christ is born. And that is the key to the beginning of Simeon's joy. Now, there's more for God to do. There's more for Jesus to do. But the birth of Jesus is a major victory because God, through his heavenly host and through the coming of Christ, he has won that victory in Christ being born. And that's a reason for celebration. That's part of Simeon's joy. I hope your Christmas will be full of good tidings of comfort and joy. But however long the joy of the spirit of Christmas is in you, it will one day pass away. The food will run out. The presents will stop being new. The decorations will need to be put back in the loft. Some joys fade, but the joy of Christ's coming never fades. And let me tell you why. Because we've seen the joy of Christ's birth. But then secondly, let's see the joy of Christ's salvation. The joy of Christ's salvation. God had made this astonishing promise to Simeon in verse 26, we heard, that God had said he would not die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. And Simeon's joy is so great because he sees in Jesus, God tells him in Jesus, this is the one. This is the rescuer from sin And death, he is an amazing promise fulfilled. I wonder, who wrote a Christmas wish list this year? Put your hand up if you did. Anyone do that? Okay, a few of the children, yeah. Well, well, we received a few on request. We refused a few on request. And on your Christmas wish list for gifts, you, you write down what you want. And if you're good about it, you think about a variety of items, of a variety of costs. But there's always one thing that you really want. If you're subtle, you put it at the top of the list in the hope that it'll be noticed. If you're less subtle, perhaps you put it in red capital letters at the top of the list. But we all normally have one gift, and as long as you get that one, it doesn't matter what else you get. I hope you find that tomorrow morning under the tree. But as far as Simeon is concerned, 
Jesus is that one gift. He's the one that if he has this gift, he has everything. And so he, he cries out in this song of praise, verse 32, if, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he says, Lord, you have brought a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. What's he saying now? Well, what he's grasping Simeon with such joy is the person of Christ and what he has come to do, the person of Christ. Well, we heard something of that in Isaiah 9, didn't we? We heard that he was going to be this baby who Simeon is holding is a wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. What a child. But then we heard in Isaiah 11, a less well-known reading, but in Isaiah 11, there was that wonderful thought of the, the expanding scope of God's blessing. It was going out and out and out that, that the whole earth would be blessed with this child, that nations would come to him. And Simeon's joy comes from the realization that Christ's coming marks that moment. That God's blessing is going to spread to the whole earth. That all and any who will trust in Jesus can know reconciliation with God. And that is great news. Do you know why? Because for almost all of us here, we're Gentiles. And if we're Gentiles, that means we're not Jews. But it means, wonderfully, that this offer is for us. This offer to know God is for you this evening. And that's the most amazing thing in the world. His parents, we read, Joseph and Mary, marveled at what was said. Now, why is that so marvelous? It's so marvelous because we don't deserve this. In fact, the Bible tells us that our sin has made us enemies of God. Sin is deliberate rebellion in word, thought, and deed against the God of heaven. Sin is not just mistakes. You know, we all make mistakes. I was uh, doing the Christmas shopping this year, and my wife, Naomi, sent me a text message to say, if you're thinking of getting me something for Christmas, Matthew, please get me some of these items from Etsy. Great thing. I'm a very efficient husband. Within half an hour, I was on Etsy. <laughs> I'd ordered the gifts with such efficiency that I hadn't noticed I was signed in with Naomi's account. So she got the email notifying her within 10 minutes that I had dutifully ordered what was requested. And so she'd be very happy tomorrow, I'm sure. But friends, sin isn't just mistakes. It's the wrong that we all know that we do. Now let me ask you a question. Knowing your heart and your life, should God accept you? as you are? Knowing the perfection of heaven, should the God of heaven who lives in that perfect heaven accept you or me based on how we've lived? There's a story told of how a woman was caught in the act of adultery and the religious teachers brought her to Jesus and they wanted him to carry out the sentence prescribed by the law. And the Lord Jesus Christ said these words to all those men stood there in condemnation. He said, let he who was without sin cast the first stone. Could you throw the stone? I couldn't. Which brings us finally, not just to the joy of Christ's coming or the joy of Christ's salvation. There's one more thing to see. The joy of a right response. Our third thought.
Because to know this joy, to know the kind of joy that an elderly senior man would leap for joy, you need to respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Simeon tells us how we need to respond. He says in Jesus' life that he will grow and some will reject the Lord Jesus. They will speak against him. And that's referenced in verse 34, speaking forward to his life. And that's not just about words of rejection. What Simeon's thinking of there, as the Lord is revealing it to him, is all that Christ will go through in his life and his death. He will be wrongly arrested. He will be tried in kangaroo courts. He'll be mocked and beaten by soldiers. They will put a crown of thorns around his head, though he is the king of the universe. He'll be made to carry his own cross to Golgotha, and he will suffer there and die in the cruelest of deaths. Mary herself, we read in verse 35, will know great pain. Why? She will see the death of her own child. There's nothing else that breaks you in the same way. But then what's the response? Here are the responses. Simeon says, some will fall down. Why will they fall down? Because they'll reject the Lord Jesus and they'll fall down into eternal death. But some will rise up. They'll rise up by faith in the Lord Jesus and they'll rise up to eternal life. And so the great question we have to ask as we come to a close is, what will determine our eternal destiny? And friends, it's our response to the Lord's Messiah. That's the key thing I want to leave you with tonight. Responding in faith. There's a story told, I think Bill shared it with me uh, earlier this month, um, of how the Wright brothers, you know, there's uh, two um, uh, men who had the first maiden flight, and they sent a, a telegram back to their family on the 19th December, 1903. They wrote these words in the telegram. Success, four flights this morning, all against 21-mile winds, started with level engine power alone, average speed through air, 31 miles, longest 57 seconds, inform press, home Christmas. On hearing the news, their sister Catherine went to the local newspaper, and she told the editors of her brother's flying machine and how they'd be home for Christmas if he would like to arrange an interview. The editor thanked her and said he would share the news. And two days later, on December the 19th, the local paper carried the headline on page six, Wright Brothers Home for Christmas. The editor had missed it, hadn't he? The biggest thing in all of history, I don't know, one of the biggest events in all of history Man's first flight, and he hadn't caught it. Don't make the same mistake with Jesus Christ. Please don't. Please don't make the same mistake. Going back to the concert two weeks ago, and my question of why all the joy, it took to the final chorale, the final chorus, after two and a half hours of music to answer the question. And in the final words, translated from the German, which was projected over the concert, I read this as the choir sung these words. Now you are well avenged, for upon the host of your enemies, Christ has broken that which was against you. Death 
devil, sin, and hell are reduced to nothing. That's it, friends. That's it. Because if Jesus Christ has dealt with the biggest enemies, he's done everything. That's why there's joy. That's why we celebrate. That's why Simeon, in verse 29, can say, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Someone has said that's the first bucket list. He's ready to die. Do you know why? Because he can know that he will be right with God because of what Christ will do. And I put it to you, there is no greater joy than knowing peace with God. Do you know it like Simeon? Thank you so much for coming along. I'm going to pray in a second. We do want to wish you on behalf of the church a very happy Christmas. And we trust the Lord will bless you greatly in the year to come. Let us pray. So remember the words of Mary in her response to the news that Christ was going to be conceived and then born, where she says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servants. And now on all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Great God in heaven, we give you our thanks and praise for our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that our hearts and our homes will be full of that joy which is found in him. Lord, would you, uh, Lord, would you bless us, we pray, as we look to him by faith. And would he be our greatest treasure, particularly this time of year. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.